0: I would like to start by telling a joke, and it's a good joke. Uh, Some jokes aren't good jokes. Uh, This joke was voted the funniest religious joke of all time, uh, but that was in 2005. So hopefully, there might have been better religious jokes told in 16 years. Uh, It was voted this in 2005 by a poll in a British journal. Uh, And so that makes it better, obviously, because British journals, they're very serious. Uh, and so this is a great joke. It's, it's, a, it's a good joke because it pokes fun at ourselves. Uh, and so I like jokes that poke fun at ourselves. If we can take a joke, I find that it's just easier in life. Uh, this joke is by a comedian named Emo Phillips, so I didn't write this. He wrote it sometime, actually, in about 1985. And so that's pretty good. About uh, 20 years later, it was still voted the funniest religious joke. So here it is. Once I saw this guy on a bridge, and he was about to jump. And I said, don't do it. And he said, nobody loves me. And I said, well, God loves you. Do you believe in God? And he said, yes. And I said, well, are, are you a Christian, or are you a Jew? And he said, well, I'm a Christian. And I said, oh, me too. Are you, are you Catholic, or are you Protestant? And he said, oh, I'm Protestant. And I said, oh, me too. What group? And he said, well, uh, are, are you Baptist, or what? And he said, I'm a Baptist. And I said, "Ah, oh, I'm a Baptist, too. And so I said, well, well are, you, are you Northern Baptist, or are you Southern Baptist? And he said, oh, "I'm Northern Baptist." And I said, "Oh, me too." And so then I said, "Are you Northern Baptist conservative or are you Northern Liberal Baptist?" And he said, "Ah, oh, I'm Northern Conservative Baptist." I said, "Oh, good, me too." And so he said, "Well, are you Northern Conservative Baptist of the Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Baptist of the Eastern region?" And he said, "Northern Conservative Baptist of the Great Lakes region." And I said, "Oh, what are the odds? Me too." And so then I asked, well, are you Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? And he said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region of 1912. And I said, die, heretic, and I pushed him off the bridge. (laughs) Now that is pure gold. And it is so funny, and I think it is so funny because we all know that it's not super far off from the truth at times. We could have five different Christians in a room together and we would have six opinions about how to put theology together. As Christians, we can agree on 99 out of 100 points, but we will still split off and start a new denomination over that one point. We find one small point of disagreement and we focus on that. We say, well, here is where we differ, instead of saying, Well, here is where we stand together. Today, we carry on our overcoming series, and we're going to talk today about our need to overcome a judgmental spirit or a judgmental nature. See, the problem of being judgmental is everywhere. It's in everything that we do. We see judgmental spirits or judgmental natures over where you choose to shop or choose not to shop. We see it over whether your coffee is rainforest certified or not rainforest certified. We see whether you eat fast food or you don't eat fast food, whether you drink Coke or you drink Pepsi. We see it over big things too, not just little things. We see it over whether you voted liberal or conservative or NDP or something else. We see it all the time, and I've seen it more and more so lately. We get very judgmental over sometimes big things, but often over very small things. This week alone, I saw no less than 10 posts on social media that said things like this. If you plan to vote liberal in the next elective, then unfriend me now because I don't want to speak to you. And I saw the other side, lest you think it's just the people who are going to vote conservative. I saw the other side that said, if you're going to vote conservative, never speak to me again because we obviously don't agree in life. And I saw the same post this week about things like, hey, if you agree with the vaccines and making people get them, then don't talk to me because I don't support that. Or if you think masks are a good idea, then unfriend me now because I don't want to see you again. I saw them all week long over these kinds of things. And the sentiment behind these posts is all the same. It says if we don't agree on this one issue, then we can't associate in life and I don't want to be your friend. It says we have to agree. The sentiment is we have to agree on everything in life. See, we have a huge problem with this idea of this judgmental nature in society. But the thing is, we don't have that problem just in society. We have it here in the church, too. We're not alone. And we're not alone in having that problem today in 2021 in the church. They had it throughout history in the church. The early church had these problems, too. See, when there are only a few hundred Christians at the very beginning, when there are less than a few hundred Christians, when there's just a handful, they had to stick together. Because they were the outlaws. They were the ones who could be killed if they were found out. So they had to stick together no matter their differences. Despite anything that they disagreed on, they had to group together for safety and for support. But as it started to grow, and it became less illegal, and more and more people started to get on board, those differences started to become a problem for the church. And they started to see these things where they disagree, and they started to argue over them. They started to disagree and argue violently, and there were things that they just, they couldn't get past, and so they split. Factions grew, and they split. And they went off, and they said, well, you go over here, you bunch of heretics, we'll do the right thing over here. And in Romans, Paul actually addresses this exact issue. Paul devotes almost two full chapters in Romans to this idea of accepting people with different ideas into our church, or accepting people with differences into our church. And I'm going to read a little part of it. So I'm going to read Romans 14, uh, and today we're going to look at verses 1 to 12. Uh, And I'm reading from, I believe, the NLT. So it says, Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them both. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and they will receive his approval. And in the same way, some think that one day is more holy than another day, while others think that every day is alike. And you should each be fully convinced that whichever you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor Him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, and they give thanks. And those who refuse to eat certain food also want to please the Lord and give thanks. We don't live or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. He, Christ, he died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord of both the living and of the dead. And so why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for the scriptures say, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. yes. Each of us will give in a personal account to God. Now, I want to look at those 12 verses. There's a lot to unpack, and I thought, actually, if I hadn't committed to a a longer series, I was going to just unpack this for a few weeks. There's a lot there, but I want to look at three basic commands that this section of verses has for us. So I want to look at three things that I think, and I think it's saying quite clearly to us. The first command, I think, comes about through verses 1 to 4. It says to accept one another. It says accept one another. Now the, first here, the first verse here gives us an idea of what this is all about, this idea of accepting one another. It says, Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Now, I think we sometimes misuse the word accept. It doesn't mean when someone says, well, I accept them, when you say, okay, sure, but like, here's, here's why you're actually wrong. right? Like, or you saying, like, Okay, sure, yeah, I accept that, sure. Right, that's not acceptance. Acceptance means to come to recognize an opinion or explanation as valid or correct. So that means you truly accept their opinion as valid. You truly accept their idea as it could be correct, and you accept that idea. Now, it doesn't mean you have to take that and say, well, now that's my view if I accept it. It just means that you accept that that is a valid interpretation. It doesn't mean it has to become your own. And here's where we already suck at this, because we don't do that. If your opinion is not the same as my opinion, then my entire goal becomes showing you why your opinion is wrong, why you're wrong. We live in a culture that cannot accept differences of opinion anymore. We choose. We would rather choose not to associate with people who have different opinions than us than to simply accept their opinion as valid. In a church, we do this too. In the church, we don't associate with those people, right? In the church, if you go to a big church especially, you can see factions, and you can see where they've split over a difference. And sometimes this leads to church splits and denominational splits or offshoots if it gets big enough. Now, we're looking back at Romans. We're looking at Paul is talking about. It says, we surely, surely these issues that Paul is saying don't argue about. You know, if they're arguing, they're fighting, surely they must be big issues, right? So surely, uh, if, if there's a group of Romans who aren't accepting other Romans in the church, surely it has to be big issues, right? Well, Paul says no. Paul calls these disputable matters, which another way of translating is small things or the details. Paul says, what are the small matters? What are these disputable matters? He says two here, if you caught it. He says meat-eating... And arguing about which day is the holiest day. So this verse is basically Paul saying, you know, these small matters, these disputable things, these details, he says that they should not stand in the way of having a relationship or with fellowshipping or worshipping with our brothers and sisters. And see, commentators, when they look at this, they are all quick to point out that these small matters, these little issues, these details still lead to church splits today. They have led to church splits throughout all of history so far, and today churches still split over them. We see arguments like this over still things like eating meat and whether you can eat meat or whether you can eat it on certain days. We see arguments like this over whether you should wear suits or formal clothing to church, whether hats or head coverings are appropriate, whether drinking alcohol is okay or having tattoos or piercings is okay, over whether women should wear makeup or whether women can wear pants or if they have to wear dresses, or whether we're shorts or even allowed in church, or whether your pastor can wear a Blue Jays uniform on the pulpit. And I'm sure Paul would look at every single one of these things and lump them in and go, these are the disputable matters. These are the small things, these are the details. One commentator is talking about this, and he says, "I was as, he goes, as I was reading about this, it reminded me of a group of Christians that were starting a church together. And this group of Christians wanted to plant a church because there wasn't one nearby, so they got together and said, let's start a church. And so they started meeting and discussing, like what will we do with this church? What will our goals be? How will we run this church? And they got through all of these things. They had a number of meetings. And then at one of the meetings, communion came up. And then one half said, well, of course, we are gonna use unleavened bread. Because that's in the Bible. And the other half said, well, no, any bread will be just fine. And they argued so violently over unleavened or regular bread would be just fine that before they could even plant a church, they split the church. Before they could even plant the church they were aiming to do, they split. And what all this points to is a basic misunderstanding of Christian unity. Is a basic misunderstanding of what we are called to as the church. See, Christ calls us to unity. He calls us to be one in him. He says, don't separate from one another. You're not designed to live and worship and be on your own. He says, to be together. The entire basis of creation, even if you look at the creation account, started from a place of unity, the trinity. It was a three-in-one community, right? And one of the things that God, one of the very first things that he says is not good, or the first thing he says is not good, is that a man was alone. Right? And so we weren't created to be by ourselves. We were created to be in fellowship with one another. We see a great example of unity over arguing about detail stuff play out if we look at last week's verse where I talked about Naaman. We talked about Naaman, right? And we talked about how he went to the king and the king said, what the heck? And then so then Elisha said, well, send it to me. And he did. And Elisha healed him, right? And, and we see all this. And when he's healed, he comes back and he says, well, thank you, Elisha. Let me give you gifts. He says, no. He says, well, let me take some dirt, he says, Elisha, I want to worship your God, the real God, so let me take some dirt back to my, like my land, my where I live, so that I can worship God in his land, right? Now, Elisha is a prophet. Elisha knows the scriptures. He knows God is not tied to a place. God is not tied to a particular place. God is everywhere. God doesn't have to be limited to just simple dirt like other pagan gods, right? God could be worshipped wherever you are. You didn't need special dirt to worship God. But what did Elisha do? Well, we don't see him blast Naaman and say, oh, you heathen, let me tell you what the scriptures say, right? He says, sure, here's a few bags of dirt. You could take this home and worship God, right? He didn't argue with him. He didn't go into doctrine and theology and tell him why he was interpreting the scriptures wrong and why they needed to split and all these things. He said, sure, take this dirt back home. See, Elisha understood that this is a details issue. This is not a thing that we are supposed to fight over. A good mentor who's actually still here once said that unless it's a salvation issue, we don't need to split over these things. We don't need to argue over these small things, the details, the secondary things. We don't need to argue over those things. And I think that's a great way to look at this. We can see this idea play out if we look at ourselves and recognize that you and I are both accepted by God. Janelle talked about this idea that she's already accepted, right? And so if you and I are both accepted by God, then God has accepted us both knowing all of our flaws, all of our failures, all the places where we think we're right and we are completely wrong. The whole lot of us, all of us, the church, God has accepted us all. And in that, the church, we make up the body, right? I love Paul when he uses this reference of the church as a body made up of many parts. It's a great analogy. But the thing about that analogy that I love is that you and I are not the same. We both accept it, but we're different parts, right? We're not the same. Imagine if a body, the hands didn't accept the eyes because they weren't hands, right? And the hands didn't accept the tongue because it wasn't a hand. Well, that's just not a body, that's just a group of hands hanging out together, right? And that's not gonna get very far. It's like cousin it. It's not gonna do a whole lot. A body must be made up of different parts. And different parts means we will have different preferences, different things that we like. The body analogy keeps working here. I'm getting older. Uh, and I didn't realize uh, how awesome A535 was until I got older. I get sore after sports a lot, and so I should just get like a subscription to A535. Uh, now, when I, when I get sore, I use A535 on my muscles, and, and I enjoy it. My muscles feel good. They're like, oh, this is a nice feeling. My muscles enjoy the way A535 feels on them. However, my tongue does not enjoy the way that A535 tastes. And please don't ask me how I know how it tastes. Uh, suffice it to say, don't spray the aerosol version into the wind. Um, so my body has different preferences, right? My muscles enjoy the way A535 is, but my tongue can't stand it, and I'm sure my eyes would not enjoy it either, right? And so my body has different preferences for different things and different parts, and so too does the body of Christ. Accept others, because God has already accepted you, is what Paul says. So accept others. God's accepted them into the body, and so you accept them into the body. Now the second thing I want to look at here is about convictions, It is okay to have your own convictions. It is okay to have your own ideas. Verse five says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Or yours might say, you should be fully convinced that whatever you choose is acceptable. Now, this basically means that after you have seen all the evidence, after you have read all the different viewpoints on a particular issue, after you have come to a conclusion about what is right in your own mind, you're there. It means you've done a truly honest comparison of ideas too. And this is where I think society gets us all wrong. People say, well, I've read all the sides, I've, I've read brief sides, and this is why I stand here. But really, they've just watched videos that Facebook has curated for them. And if you know anything about Facebook, the way Facebook works is it's an entire program designed to play you what you already like. It's designed to feed you what you enjoy. It knows where you already stand on an issue because it's a scary thought, but it tracks everything you do on your phone. So it knows where you stand. Some people say, well, I've watched and read all sides. Really, we've read one side and more support for that side. So Paul's basically saying, after you've looked at both sides, after you've investigated the different stances on a particular issue, it is okay to come to a particular stance on that issue. But the thing of importance that Paul says here is he says, in your own mind. Or, he says, for you, right? Paul says, whoever eats meat, you eat it to honor the Lord. Those who eat or refuse to eat certain foods, they do it to honor the Lord. Those who worship on special days, they do it to honor the Lord. Basically, Paul is saying here, he's saying, it's okay to have your opinion on an issue. It is okay to have your opinion or your stance, as long as you're doing it to honor the Lord. We are free to make up our minds on issues of dispute or what Paul calls the disputable matters, the small things. We are free to make up our minds on those things as long as whatever we are doing is for God's glory and not for our own glory. Right? It's no good for me to walk around saying I'm vegetarian because God told me so and therefore I'm better than everyone else. If all I'm doing to be a vegetarian is for you to lift me up and say, wow, like, Luke, it is so hard. Good for you to be a vegetarian, right? If I'm doing it for mine glory or my own glory, then I'm doing it for the wrong reasons. Paul says, in everything that we do, in these decisions, in these stances that we take on disputable matters, we do it to honor God, and we do it while giving thanks to the Lord. In the context that Paul was writing here, there were groups of Jews or or Jewish Christians that observed different things. So there was a group that observed certain Jewish festivals, and those days were more holy than other days, while others at the time were saying, well, no, all days are holy to God, all days are where we should worship God, we should worship God every day, and they didn't agree. There were groups that that some didn't eat meat because they looked at the old scripture and said, no, those things are unclean. And there were others who, like Paul said, well, everything is clean. We can eat anything. And Paul said to both of those, he said, both of those are okay. Both of your stances on this issue are okay. As long as you're choosing that side to honor God and you give thanks in everything you do to God. Because of Jesus and because of what he did for us in his death and his resurrection, we have freedom in Christ. And then freedom in Christ, what that means is we are free to make up our minds on these disputable matters, these small issues, these details, these secondary things. And it's okay if you and I come to different conclusions on these matters. It's okay if on these secondary issues, we say, well, I stand here, and you say, well, I stand here, and we say, well, that's okay, right? We have freedom in Christ. God has given us that ability to decide. That means it is okay for you to vote NDP and someone else to vote liberal and someone else to vote conservative. We can still come on Sunday and worship together. And it's okay to differ on how we make decisions in the church too. Like whether we're going to use grape juice for our communion or whether we're going to use wine or whether we're going to use some type of other juice or whether we want to use a can of Pepsi for our communion. Paul says those choices are all okay as long as what you do is for God. As long as in that choice, you're doing it to honor God. I remember one time I was uh, with a group of uh, senior pastors, and they were senior in the sense of the word, um, and we were at a, a new pastor's orientation, and I was the only one uh, under 55, 60, and we were talking about communion and what things we can and can't do. And we talked about something, and this pastor, and he and I disagreed on something, and it was, it was getting a little bit heated, and he said, well, I bet you're the type of pastor that would totally do communion with pizza and pop or something. And I said, absolutely. And I think if I did communion with pizza and pop and Jesus was there, he'd take the first slice and pass it on. And so there is room to disagree. There is room for him to say, no, we have to use grape juice. And there's room for me to say, we can do it with with pop and pizza if that's all we have. And it's okay to disagree on those things, as long as we're doing it to honor the Lord. There is room in the body of Christ for differences of opinions. It's okay to disagree on things, as long as everything we do is for God. And now on to the last point, the third point. And this is where sometimes I think we get heated. We can say, okay, well, will accept others. Okay, it's okay to have different opinions. We get to this third point, and I think this is where sometimes we lose ourselves. The last point, Paul says, why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Now, your version might say, why do you judge another believer? Why do you treat them with contempt? It's the same thing here. To judge in this context, and I think this is important that we understand context. We sometimes like to interpret things without really understanding context. To judge in this context does not mean where we look at someone's lifestyle and say, you know what, I don't necessarily think that is the best thing a Christian brother or sister should be doing. Let me see if I can come alongside them out of love and share some of my experiences with them, walk with them, discern, maybe we can walk through this, and maybe I'm wrong, or maybe they're wrong, and we can help one another as, as co-brothers and sisters in Christ. That's not what it means to judge in this context. That would be the proper way to judge. But the way we often use judge is to condemn, right? We come to a negative conclusion about the person or their actions, and we look down on them for their opinion or their stance. That's the way that we judge, and that's the way Paul is using it. He says, don't judge the others. And what he's saying is, don't look down on and condemn others for their opinions. He's saying, don't think that you are better than someone else because you don't do this thing that they do, right? Don't think you're better than them. See, whenever we say the idea of don't judge, you know, if someone, if you get a group of 10 Christians that says, well, we shouldn't judge, someone is very quick to say, well, ah, but the Bible says we are to judge the actions of our fellow believers. And in a sense, absolutely, yes, the Bible does tell us to judge our fellow believers in Christ, but the context is very important the context of how we're supposed to evaluate or judge our brothers and sisters is to evaluate their lifestyle from a place of love. And from a place of love, see if we can come alongside them and see if we can offer any help or wisdom, or if they can offer us help or wisdom, because perhaps we are wrong in the issue. But the way we often judge is the way Paul is saying not to. We often condemn and look down on people. We treat them negatively. And the Bible does absolutely not ask us to do that. The Bible does not say we need to condemn and look down negatively on people who don't agree with us. And why? Paul says it three times in the end here. Three times he effectively says the words, because we will all stand before God. He says because each of us will stand before God. And when each of us stand before God, each of us will have to give an answer for ourselves. We will answer for ourselves We won't answer for others, we will answer for ourselves and our actions. And so it's simple, we don't look down on others because we are accountable for the stuff that we do first, right? I don't look down on anybody else because I'm accountable for the crap in my life first. I don't know about you, but I likely have enough stuff to answer for in my life that I don't need to be spending my time judging what you're going to have to answer for in your life. I've got to work on myself first here. Matthew Henry writes about this exact issue. In his commentary on the whole Bible, when he gets to this verse, he says, were we to think more often of our own mistakes and our own offenses, we should be less apt to judge other people. He basically says, if we looked first at all the garbage in our lives, we would be less likely to spend time judging all the garbage of somebody else's. And this can be hard, though, really hard, if we're honest. And I think this is one of the reasons that a lot of churches struggle to grow. A lot of churches struggle to get bigger or reach more people because as a church grows, you will find more and more people that disagree with you on some of these small matters, these disputable issues, and it will become more and more of a melting pot of ideas and opinions in your church. Now, in our church, we've already noticed some changes. We've noticed changes over the past couple years in terms of just even age of some of the people that come here. Some of us got older. Some new people came and they were younger. We've noticed that some people had no denominational status or alliances before they showed up versus other ones of us would only come here if it was Baptist. We've noticed things that life place is different, you know, family status is different, even what jobs we do is very different, and so we've noticed some of these changes, and as we grow as a church, that will continue to change. More people will come that will have different opinions than you. We might find some who join, who who think like my grandmother, and maybe others do, that on Sunday, you wear your Sunday best. My grandmother would be appalled if she saw me in a Jay's jersey right now, and that's okay. Because we will find others that think ripped jeans and a t-shirt are entirely suitable Sunday morning matters. And that's okay. To accept without judging means that both of those opinions are valid. And we don't condemn or look down negatively on somebody who has a different one. Both are welcome here. To accept without judging means that we can have both of those convictions here and still worship God and fellowship with one another. To accept without judging or condemning means we can have those who will wear a hat on a Sunday morning in the sanctuary and those that would never ever wear a hat. We can have those that would happily drink coffee in the pew and those that would never bring a drink in here. Those that will use their cell phone as a Bible and those that will only ever read from the King James Version. We will have those that think women should not wear makeup and those that think that that doesn't matter about any of those things. Those who think men should never shave and those that could never grow a beard no matter how many years you give them. We will have those that would never touch alcohol and those that are okay to have wine or beer or a whiskey with you. We will have those that that would never get a tattoo or a piercing or anything of the sort and those that are absolutely covered in both. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) And we will even have those that prefer only hymns and those that prefer only the newest of new worship song. Issues like smoking, politics, divorce and remarriage, pipe organs, hairstyles, fishing on Sunday, baptism choice, school choice, age of the earth, all of those things are secondary issues. All of those things are not primary things. Now, if I asked you to take all those things I just said, politics, uh, divorce, and remarriage hymns, if I asked you to take all those things and sort them into two lists, silly and serious, every single one of us would have a different list. Every single one of us would have a slightly different list. And it's okay, because all those opinions are valid. It's okay to hold those opinions as long as having that opinion is done out of honoring the Lord for His glory and not your own. As long as you also remember that that opinion that you hold, you will have to answer for, as well as the person who holds the opposite opinion will have to answer for that opinion. All are welcome in this place. Paul says all those disputable matters, we don't argue over them. He says don't waste time arguing over those things. We live and we die belonging to the Lord, so we don't get to judge the other servants of the Lord. There are many churches out there that have sets of rules about what opinion you must hold on these disputable matters. There are churches where you have to agree to vote a certain way when you join their church. But to me, this text absolutely forbids those types of demands. This text to me means that those are secondary issues, those are secondary matters. They are not the first things, they are not primary issues. Differences of opinion are good. They help us grow. They challenge us. They help us to learn new things, consider new things. They help us to sharpen our way of thinking or move past obstacles in my life. There was a reason I went to a Mennonite uh, seminary, not the Good Baptist seminary, because I wanted to hear the other side. I wanted to be really challenged, and I was. There were some views that came up, and I was like, wow, that, isn't, that we are way over here. But it was beautiful because we could say, hey, we are way over here, but we still love the Lord together. It is good to have different viewpoints on things. It reminds us of creation. When I think of creation, I think of all the differences. If you ever walk through a forest and notice that every single tree or vegetation is different, that's what makes it beautiful. It's not beautiful to walk through a forest where every single tree is the exact same thing and that's all that's there. Have you ever seen a forest like that? Because I have. I was at a forest that was a human-planted forest, and you could clearly tell because the trees were all the same pine tree, they were all the exact same height, they were planted in straight lines, and they were all planted the exact same distance apart. It was not beautiful. It was actually creepy. I walked through this forest and I thought, this is not how it's supposed to be. Like, we could have at least tried to pretend that we didn't plant this with a machine or a robot, right? It It was not beautiful. The beauty of a forest is all the differences. All the different things that are there, the different vegetation, the different trees, different leaves, the life and the growth, the death, all those things, that's what makes a forest beautiful. It's the differences that make things beautiful. Differences are good. These disputable matters that Paul points out, it is okay to hold differences on these secondary things. Now there are, of course, things that we should agree on and we need to say that there are things that, for us, our non-starters, we all agree here. The primary things, the salvation issues, the first things. Things like the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ, the lordship of Jesus as God Almighty, the trinity of Father, Son, Spirit, the fact that Jesus came as a human, lived as a human, died a horrible death, but then came back. Things like salvation by grace through faith, Jesus' miracles. These are the fundamentals of our faith. These are the issues where we must agree, where we will find that these are the primary issues, and probably all of us agree on these things. But the other stuff, whether you worship on Saturday or Sunday, whether you attend the 10 a.m. service or the 3 p.m. service, whether you do communion with Coke, Pepsi, can of wine or grape juice or water, whatever you do, those are details. Those are not salvation issues. Not once does Scripture say we should separate over those small things. Paul, Elisha, even Jesus himself give us a very wide latitude when it comes to those details, those secondary things. So let's feel free to agree or completely disagree on those things. But let's keep the main thing the main thing. In everything we do, let's remember and be thankful to Jesus for who he is and what he did. In all things, let's do everything to honor God out of thanks and glory for him. And may all the glory always go to him, never to ourselves. Let's pray. God, thank you that, Lord, we have freedom in you. Jesus, thank you that because of who you are and what we did, what you did for us, Lord, we have the, 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 the freedom to decide different stances on these, on these small issues, these disputable matters. Thank you for the, for the beauty that is difference, Lord, the beauty that is differences of opinion that lead to challenging and sharpening and growing as a community. And God, may this place always be a place where all opinions are welcome here. God, may this be a place where we can come and we can feel free to disagree on things and we do it all for the honor and glory of you, Lord, where people from all different sides can come and together we can worship and praise your name together as a family. May we fellowship together despite any of those differences. God, would you always give us the humility and the courage and the patience that is necessary to, necessary to make that happen. And God, would you always guide everything we do. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.